Hey, leaders. In this episode of Leading Collaborative Response, Curtis and I are joined by the superintendent of Grassland School Division, Scott Brandt, and the principal of Bassano School, Britta Goldie. In the conversation, we explore how the division has implemented a collaborative response journey across all of its schools, the impact the work is having on students and staff, what it looks like in a K-12 within the division, and how the structures and processes have been utilized at the divisional level. Let's get started. Leading organizations with intentionality and purpose is complex work and dedicated leaders work tirelessly each and every day to build impactful cultures of collaboration. But effective collaboration is difficult and messy. The good news is you don't have to do it alone. Join the Jigsaw Learning Team for Leading Collaborative Response, sharing insights for leaders committed to establishing, refining, and deepening collaborative response in their organization. All right, welcome back. As always, I'm Curtis Hewson, co-founder and lead learner of Jigsaw Learning. And with me is Lorna. Hewson. Ditto. <laughs> yeah, ditto. <laughs> and super excited to be able to have a conversation with Scott and Britta today around the work that is happening in Grasslands uh, School Division, as well as Bazano School. So welcome, Scott and Britta. It's great to have you with us today. Yeah, thank, thank you for you. having us for sure. Perfect. Now, it's going to seem like it's incredibly polished for the end listeners and viewers, but they may need to know this is our third attempt at trying to make this podcast happen. So thanks for the patience, although no one other than us really knows that this is, we've had lots of practice already. Well, now they know. <laughs> yeah, I kind of let cat out of the bag with that. Okay, so Britta, first time for our viewers, third time for us, can you share just a little bit of your educational background and what's brought you to where you are currently as the principal of Bizano School? And then we'll turn the attention to Scott to ask the exact same thing. Sure. So I started my career about 15 years ago up north at a flying community called Fort Chip and then moved south to Slave Lake area. And then about five years ago, I was looking to move closer to family. So I ended up down in grasslands at Bassano School, which is K to 12, which has been my experience since I started my career. So I started with the grasslands for three years as a vice principal, and then two years ago, moved up to the principalship of the school and have been here ever since and have been using collaborative response my whole time here. So just kept moving south. What's your next move? Just, I go more south? Is it like United States after this? I know. This? I don't know. <laughs> Mexico. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Very so. <laughs> and Scott, we'll turn it over to you. Same thing. And I do want to kick off and start that you have a relationship with Lorna here that our listeners may not know about. <laughs> Why don't you start with that and then take us away from there? Sure, you bet. Uh, yeah, I was very fortunate. I started my teaching career in Clarisol, Clarisol Elementary School, where Lorna was already teaching. And I was there for eight years and Lorna and I became kind of, I guess, the um, senior grade three teachers <laughs> in the school. And uh, we had tons and tons of fun together and lots and lots of laughs. And so um, that was the start of a, a wonderful friendship and obviously a, a relationship that has benefited over many years of, of continuing to work together. So yeah, very fortunate to have a, a great start in Claire's home. We have yeah, lots so of I guess stories. I could share lots of stories. <laughs> Britta, just let us know if you ever need dirt on Scott and we've got you covered. 
<laughs> Lorna only shares the good stories because I could also do the same. <laughs> it's it's was, always reciprocal. It <laughs> <laughs> Very reciprocal. Yeah. Yeah. So th this is this is my seventh year as a superintendent in Grasslands, and after leaving Claire's home, I came to Brooks uh, mostly to be closer to family. And I was able to work in an elementary school here for about six years as, as a school administrator, as a vice principal, and then moved into central office as an assistant superintendent and deputy superintendent, and, and now as a superintendent uh, of Grasslands, which is amazing to work, very to have amazing staff and very dedicated people looking after the needs of our kids. In terms of collaborative response, it was something we dabbled in back in 2015. Curtis, you came and helped mm -hmm. do a little bit of a presentation to some of our school admin, and we saw kind of take flight in a few of our schools, but really lacked that consistency and fidelity, and which is why we reached out to you over the last few years. All right. And Scott, why don't we keep going just a little bit? Can you give the viewers or listeners that are joining us today a bit of context for Grasslands? Because it's quite a unique school division within Southern Alberta. Mm -hmm. And then we'll ask for you to turn it over to Britta just to give a little bit of context for Bazano School as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Grasslands is is a small rural jurisdiction with Brooks kind of being the hub, I guess. I guess what makes us more unique maybe than many rural divisions is just our diversity. We have lots and lots of cultural diversity and richness within the community of Brooks. We have a, a large meatpacking plant, which brings people from all over the world into our community. Even outside of our city schools, uh, we have diversity in terms of British school, for example. We have a, a large Indigenous population as part of a service agreement with Six Sigma Nation. Hutterite colonies, we have low German-speaking Mennonite students. And so when you kind of throw all those things together for a small, you know, rural jurisdiction, I guess for us, uh, the diversity might be more representative of large metro centers and maybe even in some cases more diverse because they may not have to work through colonies and low German-speaking Mennonite students. So it's a great division because of that diversity, but obviously has some challenges in terms of the teaching side, which is where cloud responses come in. You know, just to give this a little bit more context, Scott, you had shared with us previously of approximately how many languages are spoken within the community of Brooks. Can you share that with us again? Yeah, so Brooks is called the city of 100 hellos. And so we have over 100 different languages and dialects spoken within our community. Many from Mideast, parts of West Africa, Asia, um, South America, um, yeah, so it's it's a it's a great place, but as I said, it it comes with some challenges and how do we support teachers to provide um, excellent learning opportunities for our students is paramount. Excellent. So, Britta, just give us a little bit of context of Bazano School then within Grasslands. For sure. So, kind of building on what Scott said, we're unique in Grasslands in that we have a fairly large Indigenous population. So, we have 250 students total, up to 73 of them coming to us from Six Sigma First Nation. So we're a little more unique that way, as well as we have the town of Bassano students, the farms around us, and then some lower German speaking Mennonite populations. So we're unique in that we're small, but we're incredibly diverse that way. And much like the Brooks schools have some unique challenges with just supporting all of our students who come from various locations. That's awesome. And it does, you know, you as soon as you reflect on the idea that there's a hundred languages, the <laughs> automatically <laughs> start to think about what challenges that would pose within your schools and even communicating with your families and communicating with the kids in schools. But and yeah, great opportunities. But great well, opportunities yeah. as well. Yeah, for sure. That's so awesome. So just thinking about collaborative response then, Scott, you had mentioned that we had done a little bit of an intro a while ago, and then you came back to it. At that, from that divisional perspective, what was it that actually drew you into, 
you know, we need to come back to collaborative response and, and we need to look at this as a full implementation across our district. Great question. And it was something that I guess timing was was really the essence for us. Um, as I said, in 2015, we, we allowed our schools to kind of pick and choose what parts of collaborative response uh, might fit into their own models. And so, you know, we were seeing some schools, you know, using RTI map models or using portions of cloud response mixed in with RTI. Our language wasn't common. Our processes were, were definitely not consistent and common. And so as we're, we're trying to talk about supporting kids and the complexities that are obviously increasing in classrooms, that was a real driving force. Is we just we needed something systemically that we could all speak the same language and look at processes in a similar way. Secondly, is we were coming out of a pandemic and, and learning disruption was a big part of, of what we were seeing. And at the same time, the government was implementing new assessments for learning loss in terms of literacy and numeracy. And uh, so now we're using a lot of data. We've always kind of been moving towards data use, but it wasn't something that I would say we were very um, maybe as experienced and maybe as efficient with. Mm. Um, and then really the, the third piece was just we know that the increasing complexities in classrooms are challenging staff. And so how do we support staff in a way that allows them to have a sense of efficacy and support, knowing full well that we owe it to our students to obviously provide them with the best learning opportunities. So kind of those three forces all kind of came together at the same time. And when we we're trying to figure out what might be the best way to approach the this method or this this need, it was really coming back to collaborative response as a, as a systemic model. Well, and Britta, I know that you're Coming to the school division was a little bit fortuitous as far as timing goes. Do you want to describe what that looked like for you? For sure. So I actually saw Curtis speak eight years ago at Teachers Convention up north, my first year in admin, and I saw like the early programming for collaborative response and thought it was phenomenal. So I brought it to my K-12 school up north. When I came down to Grasslands, had seen similar issues between the schools I had worked in. So I brought it up to our staff here at Bassano. And interesting enough, they had had a presentation, started using a collaborative response model in 2015 and moved away from it, but had loved it at the time. They had just different admin change, stopped using it as effectively. They had CTMs, but weren't quite using them with fidelity. So I had said, hey, let's do a book study. This was five years ago. We'd like get back on this, like learn more about it. So we had started the book study, started to move through it. And then when Grasslands announced, hey, we're looking at doing collaborative response as a division, my staff got really excited because we had been already <laughs> starting on that process and we're like a couple of years ahead. So it just fit really naturally for us as a staff. And it kind of gives our staff a sense of success because we're that much further into using the model and they aren't learning it new like a lot of the people in the division. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I... I think it, there is always that iterative nature mm. of the work too, of you're always going to have to wrap back around because you're going to have transitions of staff, transitions of leadership that will require to revisit over and over and again. And we're growing and learning all the time. Yeah. So being able to implement and make adjustments as you go forward too. The things I could have taught <laughs> myself eight years ago <laughs> to make that, that teacher's convention session even better for you would have been... Well, really we helpful. Now. Yeah. So Scott, when you talk about moving out as a system, I once had a, a district leader use the analogy for me that I think stuck really well. He said, when I was the principal in a small school, and you know, this might replicate what Britt had said, that it was kind of like being on a jet ski. If I wanted to turn right, we had a conversation and boom, we turn right. Like it, we could move fairly nimbly and agile. And when he said he got into a larger school, now it was more like a sailboat or a yacht 
of you need to test the wind a little bit. You need to do a few <laughs> calculations, really check where you're going. It's going to take a little while to make that turn. It's not as quick. And you, you learn as you're adjusting sales, what adjustments you need to make on the fly. And then said when he got into the system level, it was like leading an air aircraft carrier carrier that <laughs> to make a turn, it took sophisticated operations. We had to do calculations. It would take forever to make the turn. You may not see the impact of it behind you for quite a while. It took everyone getting on board. And so I, I share that as a very long-winded way to get to a question around implementation. How have you envisioned that implementation process within Grasslands and how have you gone about supporting knowing that you do have diversity of schools in regards to configurations, populations, and even community contexts? Well, and even speaking to some of the, the significant steps that you've made, are there is there anything that really stands out to you that was really important in that implementation? Yeah. <laughs> the aircraft carrier sounds like my world, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it it's really, I guess, number one is I think everybody was kind of at a point. I think we had people at a common place that they were looking for something different. You know, we've always been talking about intervention and the need to support students. And our instructional framework as, a, as a, one of our key questions is, you know, what do we do when kids aren't responding or they've already re learned it? And so we've been able to tie in our instructional framework into this piece and I guess for us, it was uh, you need to kind of start with that leadership group and really build that capacity and that understanding really at a starting point where the people who are going to be doing that work supporting teachers have the best understanding possible in terms of the processes and the framework. And so really in year one, a lot of that work was just working with Curtis and Lorna and our leadership team, you know, so school administrators, but we also we brought in our learning coaches. We had obviously our senior administration involved in it, our Director of Student Support Services, our early learning coordinator. So all those key people in our learning team that were going to be somehow involved in this process, just so that, again, common language, common understanding. Um, and so year one, for Britta and some of those other folks, it would have been a good review. But for many people, it was really just kind of an eye-opening experience of, okay, this is, this is complex work, but if we do a good job of it, it'll make a difference. In year two, it was really about trying to refine processes. And so we spent a ton of time talking about collaborative team meetings really looking at that as one of our key structures for, you know, looking at key issues and coming back to really strong universal programming within classrooms, kind of at that tier one and tier two level. And then year three, this year, we've we've really tried to, I guess, move into specific areas where collaborative planning has become more important to us. Our SST meetings and our, our meetings at the division level have been restructured and rebranded to, to fit into the model. So, for us, it was kind of starting small and really building that guiding coalition and then moving up to a, a level where we could expand it and support administrators in, in schools. If I was going to say there's one key thing that maybe has really helped us with this is last year, our board made a decision to change our school year calendar because we had, Britta can speak to this very specifically, we had some schools that because of sheer size and economies of scale, they could build in collaboration time or time for CTMs right into their daily schedule. Others had zero time, and so it was all following outside of, of school hours. And so uh, we've gone to Friday early dismissals, and now Friday afternoons, schools have the ability to, to work through collaborative response and professional learning. Um, and then we build in some divisional time. So that has been integral from a division's perspective in terms of equity. Well, and I think that really points to the, if we consider this work 
critically priority. important for supporting the success of students. How do we how do we reflect that? And we were just in a conversation earlier today where the the person had made the realization or had made the assertion that if you want to understand what someone's priorities are, check out their timetable or check out their calendar. calendar. That's that's a pretty <laughs> good indication of how are you spending your time. So you Britta, know. we do want to turn then attention to you. And this is something I know that our listeners, view, viewers always appreciate is hearing from different contexts. What does collaborative response look like specifically in your building? So if you could lay down, when does it happen? How have I grouped people into teams? What do the What's the collaborative planning, collaborative team meetings, SST look like? Just try and paint a picture for us of what does collaborative response look like in your specific context? Well, like Scott said, we're really fortunate this year because we have the early dismissal Friday. So being a small K to 12, it was something we could never timetable in for ourselves. We just don't have the staffing to have a group of teachers free together all the time. So our collaborative response always happens on Friday afternoons. We, because we're K to 12, have a K to 6 group and a 7 to 12 group. So okay. when our K to 6 is doing collaborative planning, our 7 to 12 are doing CTMs. The week, ne like the next following week, they switch. So then we can attend the CTMs as well as after they get the collaborative planning going. When, when third, you say we, who do you mean by we? My, my vice principal and I. Okay, so you're we're just a small be, school. Yeah, you're able to be in both teams, collaborative team meetings, the way you've structured that. Yes, we awesome. think that us attending the CTMs is valuable. So after our, my vice principal gets the collaborative planning going, he joins me in the CTM just because we typically both teach on both sides of the building as well. So it's valuable for us to be in the CTMs. Plus then if, if someone's coming up at the CTMs, we can bring it to our school support team meetings, which we have scheduled every week. So every Monday I built into our timetable for myself, my vice principal, my learning support teacher time where we have an up to an hour, it's usually about 30 to 45 minutes together where we can go over all the school support team structures as well as bring in our wellness and our indigenous liaison if we need them. And then every four, like we do divisional every third and then we also have a professional learning plan where we focus on a book study. So we rotate it so staff always know what's coming next. We have tracking documents. So if in the event we aren't able to make it, we can check back and see what everyone's action items are and make sure that we're all on task as well as the staff have their pre-meeting organizers done in advance and have access to those at time. Because we're so far into this now, our staff have become a fine oiled machine because they come with their pre-meeting organizers, any data they've decided they need to bring up. They trust that if we see something coming up at our CTMs, we'll bring it up at a school support team meeting and come back to them later with different ideas or maybe divisional supports. So it's something that this half day Friday has really allowed us to grow because before that it was very much before school, after school, when you could make it work at lunch. So we've got a very effective system for our K-12 right now. So Britta, you, you talked about being able to be in those collaborative team meetings and how important it is for you and your assistant principal to be in those meetings. Tell us a little bit about what you learn when you're part of that and why it's so important. It's valuable for us because while we do get the office referrals, so you'll see the kids, you might you might be a little more frequent flyers to the office. It allows us more to focus on the academic issues you may not see in your day-to-day -day classroom supervision. So as teachers are working through what supports can we collectively do, how do we support the kids in this literacy area we're seeing as an issue in our data. It allows us to be part of those conversations as well as then when we're in our supervision, asking how are you supporting them? We, we, we talked about this, where do I see it in your classroom? It just allows a lot more follow-up as well as it builds on that instructional leadership piece that we really value 
does any of the any of the conversations that happen in the collaborative team meeting does that ever take you to well we need to explore this further in our professional learning like your that pd side of things do those ever overlap yes actually that's a good question because our entire secondary ended up based on the early ctms this year taking our pl down the road of executive function we're seeing yeah. all of these lagging skills. How do we address them? So we've tailored our PL now to helping staff build their capacity so then they can take it back and support our students. I That's was beautiful. always such a huge proponent of having administrators in the meeting because I found myself as a principal, yeah, it helped me be aware of the student side of things, sure. And, and I already felt fairly confident in that, but it gave me such a pulse on the instructional conversations that were happening in the building and when we bring up a key issue and say what should we do and it's crickets okay well we obviously need professional again. learning yeah it's been really helpful that way and I didn't see that coming until this year when it's like well that's a naturally occurring thing we can build into our PL plan now well and how much better is that then it's relevant and in the moment and you've got a structure to be able to address it yeah. so Britta I do want to come back in a little bit because you've touched upon the collaborative structures and processes about how we're starting to bring data and evidence. And there's another foundational component, of course, of our continuum of support. So I want for you to be able to share in a little bit of what that work has looked like. But before we get there, because you are talking about the strength of the structures and processes, Scott, I'd love for you to be able to share out what are some ways that at the divisional level, you've adopted, modeled some of the parallel processes because I know that it's become part of your admin team meetings and also then your senior like divisional leadership teams. Do you want to talk to us about both of those? Yeah, for sure. I guess, you know, and going back to, to Britta's comments, just in terms of that instructional leadership piece and, and how cloud response is really driving our professional learning, we're seeing the same impact at, at the division office as well, right? And I think what our administrators have found out is that they typically overplanned this year, re not realizing just the impact that collaborative response would have on professional learning. And so some of the things we are going to do haven't come up as a higher priority as kind of using Britta's example. At a division level, obviously for us, trying to model the importance of it at our level was just as important if we're going to say it, you know, this is important for our teachers and our school administrators to do. We wanted to model the same thing and we need to be learning elbow to elbow. And so We've changed structures. I'll, I'll start with our admin CTM or admin PLC. Whenever we have administrators meeting uh, once a month, our morning portion is always around professional learning. And so we've adjusted that. And this will be our second time coming up here in February, where we now have uh, what we call admin CTM. And so uh, we've divided our, our administrators into teams. So we kind of have a team for K to six schools. We have a team for K to nine schools, <laughs> another team for the K to 12 schools. And then a, a final team that kind of takes our junior high and senior high administrators together. We've supported them with either senior admin or some of our learning coaches or some of our program directors or coordinators. And we do pre-meeting organizers. Hey, what are the key issues that you're dealing with right now in your school? And we sit down and have a CTM. And same thing, we have all the templates, we have note takers, we have all the roles, we have facilitators. Uh, we come up with key issues and actions and then we'll, we're going to come back. So we had our first one in January. Oh, no, was it January? Yeah, it was January. And so, no, December. December. Britta, is it December? Yes, December. It was December. Uh, yeah, sorry. 
can't keep track of my days, let alone months. And so we're, we're going to come back to this on Wednesday and see kind of where our schools got to and start looking at new key issues or additional key issues. So and what might be, and just to help further clarify, what might be an example of a key issue that a school mm-hmm. could bring up, for instance? We'll be right back to continue this episode. We have all felt like this before when engaging in team meetings, feeling like our time is not being maximized or that this could have just been an email. As a leader, how can we ensure this is not the reality for everyone in the room? Rather than just simply coming together into a shared space, we really need to ensure that whenever we are engaging as a team in meetings, that the time is being utilized to its utmost and that we are truly seeing impact as a result of our conversations. My name is Curtis Hewson, lead learner and co-founder of Jigsaw Learning. In this free on-demand webinar, I'm going to be sharing with you five planning considerations and then five facilitation considerations that you can put into place as a leader to take your team meetings to the next level. Access this webinar and in addition to these 10 considerations, numerous free resources will be shared that you can begin using immediately. I can't wait to have you join me to learn how we can ensure that team meetings are having their optimal impact. And now back to our conversation. So our focus actually in, in December CTM was around collaborative response implementation. And so some of the key issues that people talked about was, again, trying to balance something like, how do I make sure that my teachers have time for CTMs and collaborative planning? So if you use Britta's example, where there's that rotation set into play, where some teachers are going to be in a CTM, well, if I'm not in CTM, I'm doing collaborative planning and vice versa. And so, you know, some of those kinds of things, schools are still trying to work around. And if we come up with that as a key issue, then we always strategize. Data would be another area that some schools are you know, still struggling with, you know, what are efficient and effective ways to, to collect data, to analyze data, to share data back. Um, and we know there's lots of wisdom within the, the room. And sometimes it just conversations weren't necessarily occurring, other than maybe when, you know, Curtis or Lorna came and were doing our work with our PLC. So, we're seeing that filter up to our early learning coordinator. She has implemented a collaborative team meeting structures with all of her meetings when she's meeting with PUF staff or kindergarten teachers. Our director of student support services modeling the same pieces. So, you know, we're just we're trying to make it make sure that people don't see this as just a one-off in the school, but actually this is really kind of something that it's just the way we do business in Grasslands. Britta, as a principal, how did you find that experience really coming at it from a principal who participated in that. How was that for yeah, you? Yeah, now as a participant rather than someone who has to lead it. So it's interesting because when he was like, I don't remember what month it was. I do. It's December because it made a huge impact on my January plan. So in my CTM with my other K-12 schools, one of the issues I had brought up that I had been really struggling with was how do you get staff to focus on something new in their CTM without mandating it? And so we had kind of talked in the CTM group I had brought the issue I had, we discussed it and they were like, hey, why don't you try doing the locus of control? Talk with your staff, do the activity in January and then maybe they'll naturally move on to something new because Mm -hmm. my staff at the elementary level was really struggling with, let's focus on behavior, let's focus on behavior. And kids are never gonna be perfect, they're kids. So at what point do you push them on to maybe a more academic focus? And so they had said, hey, do this in January. So after we came back from Christmas break, I had done the locus of control activity we had planned during the CTM with the other admin. It went so well that my last CTM with elementary, they moved on to literacy without me pushing it, but they had a conversation on 
like we're focusing on this maybe it's not something we can control and it was like I felt like we had staged it because it went so well based on how the admin CTN <laughs> had run and I think in years past as an administrator in our little breakout sessions we would never have had such clear directive goals and an action item and for something for me to try leaving that meeting but having set the timeline and my action item was do it right when you come back and I did and then it worked out so I'm actually really excited for our meeting in February because I can go back and report and be like look Look at this. It changed because of this one thing we tried. <laughs> well, Tim, oh, that's beautiful. This is so central to the collaborative response yeah. work is understanding there's expertise in the room and how do we leverage it appropriately? And then me walk away with one thing that I'm willing to try. There's, there's an action. And through that actioning, I may, it may not work, but I'll learn something else. It's just that iterative continuing along. Well, and we have learned and, you know, we're just working with so many different people that that key issues process, and of course, there's a real intention to it within our collaborative team meetings, but it always comes to the identify an issue that's occurring and then having that opportunity to access the expertise in the room. So that might look like we do, of course, in a collaborative team meeting, we're doing that around students, but like you just shared, being able to do that around a concern that you're having around implementation within collaborative response for admin or for, as Scott mentioned, early learning, how Aaron is using that same process to be able to do some problem solving as well, understanding that we have so many You're... wonderful people with wonderful ideas that we sometimes don't have a process to access. So that key issues process can be used in so many different ways. Well, Britta, this actually is a great place where we can come back and revisit the continuum of supports work, because yeah. I'd love to hear how that has rolled out within the school and, and where you're at in regards to that foundational component. Yeah, so it's something we're quite proud of as a staff. So early on in our collaborative response journey, when we had started the book study, we had valued creating a continuum, just something that our staff really needed. As well as in Bassano, our staff had been here 20 to 30 years. So as people were retiring and new staff were coming in, we wanted something that new staff could also take and be like, this is how we do business at Bassano School. This is what our tier one, two, and three look like. So as a staff, we sat down, we did the post-its on what are our tier one supports, our tier two, our tier three. We sorted them out after a few sessions, narrowed down to what do we collectively K to 12 do? What are some things that would move to tier two? We have little branches that break off. So here's the data you need to be collecting before you can move to tier two. And then we actually brought it to our indigenous liaison who, because we have our indigenous population, gave us some feedback on making it instead of a pyramid, it's more of a flow. So ours looks like a river in various stages of blue. So you can move up and down as you need to. And then it's a little more inclusive that way for our students and our staff quite enjoy it and we bring it to all our meetings we have it out and it's just a piece of work we're all really proud of because it shows these are all the steps we have in it here's who you can reach out to here's the data you collect before you need to move on and it really fuels good conversations around have we tried all these things as well as allows staff to work through what's my next steps before I move on to tier two or three. Britta, would you be, and we can follow up after this podcast, but willing to share a sample of that with us? Because I know that's something listeners and viewers would love to be able to see if we could pop a, a version of that in the show notes. It's a really nice way to segue in to another layer of collaborative response that you've put at the divisional level. 
that it's not just different departments have, have structured it within their departments and that we have principal CTMs that are happening. But talk to us a little bit about how you're utilizing collaborative response to focus on the needs of schools uh, using the same structures that schools use to focus on the needs of kids. So we, we in the last number of years, we've had what we call instructional leadership team meetings. And so three times a year, myself and our two assistant superintendents and our director of student services will schedule meetings to meet with our school administrators. And in the past, we kind of had you know more of a focus, I'd say, on things like their school improvement plans, you know, the actions they've been taking in terms of professional learning. And so in the last couple of years, again, kind of working with, with Jigsaw and Lorna specifically, we we kind of restructured that to actually have an opportunity to pose questions related to our work around cloud response that again aligns with our, our strategic goals and plans within our, our sorry goals within our own three-year plan. And so the, the questions we pose allow our administrators to talk about and share either a some of the, the successes that they're having in terms of their work around cloud response, some of the challenges they're having. Once those meetings are done, then we pull in our, our learning team individuals, which is again our early learning coordinator, our learning coaches, Sean, Katie, and Nicole and myself. And we debrief around what we've heard uh, to try and look at, okay, so where are our schools around some of our structures and processes? And then are there areas that maybe we can provide support? So again, kind of looking at key issues that we may be hearing. Out of that, we have been able to, for example, this year, we contracted some additional services through Maryland, which allows our schools to either get some additional support and expertise, which maybe we can't always provide. Uh, sometimes there are things that we can actually address by connecting our, our principals with other principals. Uh, it may be something where somebody from our early learning team or our student support services team can go out and provide some additional conversations and support. So at a district level, our instructional leadership team meetings have made a bit of a shift so that our collaborative response work is kind of taking the same process of key questions, key issues, and then what can be some follow-up supports that we've been able to put in place. So very exciting for us in terms of how we structured it, because the conversations with administrators are usually, um, first of all, very enlightening, but really a great opportunity to look at celebrations, which is a big part of cloud response, because our schools and our administrators have been doing some phenomenal work. And again, very different context. If you're a small school K to nine and you have 40 students doing collaborative response and collaborative team meetings and student support team meetings and all those structures, looks very different than even in British school of 255 students or scale that up to our composite high school where there's over 600 students. So it helps us to understand that, you know, one model doesn't necessarily fit, but we can tweak the model and processes to align so that every school still has some form of the processes and layers of structures in place that allows us still to have common conversations. So Scott, how has that changed how the team at the district level is deployed? So yeah, a couple of things that we've been able to do. So again, depending on what we're hearing from individual schools or supports, we have been able to a, sometimes support them with our learning coaches. And so we've been able to send our, a learning coach or two out to a school and say, look, here sounds like something that maybe we can support you with. The Obviously, the, the support that we get from Jigsaw around things like Maryland's expertise. Last year, we had the CTM observations which allowed us, again, to look at something specific within that structure that we're, the school administrators were able to get some support on. This year, the part that's going to be really fun to kind of follow along is when we're actually doing our school reviews. And so we have six schools that will actually have an opportunity to work with Curtis and, and look at those structures from a broad perspective and then uh, narrow down into some of those real specific pieces that, uh, again, maybe we can support them through 
either individuals within the division, or we can provide them with resources through the website, our membership on the website, or within maybe some of the personnel from Jigsaw Learning. We have a couple questions that we'd like to ask both of you as we start to come to a conclusion here today. The first one is for you to think about and finish this statement, and we'll, whoever would like to go first for it, please do. For the statement, as a result of collaborative response, we have seen. What would you, how would you finish that? More structured supports for our students, both academically and behaviorally. Oh, that was a succinct answer. Yeah. <laughs> well done, Brenda. That was excellent. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of set the stage high for you there, Scott. So <laughs> He always does. That's the thing about British. <laughs> Uh, yeah, she she she's fantastic. We're very lucky to have her. She does she kind of pushes you to, to be better. There's no doubt. For us, I would say, for us, I'd say it, it's really about having systemic fidelity. I would say that it's allowed us to make sure that it's not some kids getting supports in a real structured way. It's about ensuring that all students in all of our schools have the ability to receive interventions and supports when required. And then in addition to that, I would say that it has allowed our staff to all feel like they've got supports uh, and mechanisms in a way that they're not doing this work on their own because it's, it's much too complex. Um, and so that ability to feel like there's a team approach um, in every building, not because you have economies of scale or because you have more staff, that it doesn't matter which building you're in in grasslands, you're going to have the supports to make a difference for kids. We had had a principal that said, if if you're trying to do this work on your own, you're, it's a recipe for burnout, yeah. whether that's a teacher, a principal, an individual school, it mm -hmm. needs that. The, the phrase that always comes to mind when, when I'm working with, with you and the, and the teams in grasslands is rowing in the same direction. Like you truly are living that, you know, we are all in this together and we're all supporting each other and we're all trying to get to the same place. Mm -hmm. And that has, I think that's, I think that's amazing to be able to bring along, you know, 14 schools and being able to keep moving in that same way is pretty, pretty astounding. And I think, re and recognizing that, that even though we've been doing this for a number of years, that we still, we have some schools like Brita's that is, you know, farther along and we have other schools that are are still trying to figure it out. We've had lots of changes in administrators in our buildings. And so, you know, they're, they're trying to put their own personalized experiences into it as, as well as trying to pick up from other individuals who maybe led the school previously. So recognizing that we also need to give ourselves some grace and that it's okay for us to be in different places, but with the expectation that we're continuing to move forward and grow. So to me, that, that makes a good combination. We've got a little bit of, 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 of pressure to, to keep move, things moving, but lots of support to get there. Absolutely. I would also say it's nice in the fact that I know it will exist beyond me. So it's structures that will have like occur once I'm no longer principal here and won't go away because it's a division initiative. So the staff will put all this work in and it'll continue past my time as a principal here. Yeah, it's so important. Yeah, that legacy that goes beyond your time. That's true. Okay, here's the last, last question. question that we will tee up. <laughs> so we love asking people that come on the podcast this question of, in the spirit of, if you knew then what you know now, what advice would you give your past self in relation to collaborative response? Honestly, if I, if I could go back to 2015 when we brought uh, Curtis in to, to speak to us about it, and I think this is just, 
this is what you learn over time when you're in leadership yeah. positions. And, and that really is just, we really should have had more of a, a focused approach and a long-term plan. Uh, I think divisions are great about, you know, you jump on something, you do it for a little while and then something else comes up. And I think the difference this year or this time is, you know, this is now year three and we have been dedicated to it. We've resourced it with, with money and time and people. And we would have been farther ahead had we done that in 2015 instead of waiting until 2019. So to me, that would have been the difference is we should have just jumped on knowing that it was good for everybody, not just a few. Thanks, Scott. Britta? I would say go slow to go fast because there's so many important pieces to the work, but you don't need to implement it all at once. You don't need to jump into CTMs, collaborative planning, school support team meetings. And add data and evidence in a continuum next week as well. Yeah. <laughs> you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, there's so many things, but there's not. It's just if you add them slowly, you can do them well versus trying to do them all at once and then watching it all be mediocre. So I think for us, it's been good because we've kind of gone slow, but I would go back and go like even slower, like start with this piece, get, do that well, then move on to the next piece. You know, Britta, as you talk about that, I think about the connections that are made when you go slowly too, that it's not just about being able to do all those three, you know, collaborative structures and processes yeah. and data and evidence. And now we'll move on to continuum. Or you create, course. this is our checklist and yeah, check, check, yeah. check, check. But rather it's, okay, so we'll create our structures, but how are they connected to the data and evidence? And how is that influencing time. data and evidence? But, but it, yeah, it takes time and intention to make sure that it's all connecting. And those, yeah, those pieces are impacting the other components too. Well, I wanna take a moment just to say, thank you so much, not just for joining us for this podcast, but for the great work that is happening Amazing. within Grasslands for your students and staff. And it's not just as someone hearing the story, but living through it with you for a number of years. It's truly phenomenal, the work that your teams are doing. So thank you so much for taking a portion of time to be able to share it out with the larger world. Yeah, and, and honestly, thank you for all your supports and, and thank you for the time allowing us to, to share a little bit of our story. We couldn't do it without you, obviously. That is an absolute integral part. So both of you have been amazing and your support has, has definitely been appreciated. So thank you. Well, thank, thank you, you, both of you, Britta and Scott. And our partners are going to be super excited to be able to hear your journey. So and we can also let people know that at our yeah. retreat that's happening in Lacombe in May, you'll both be there to be able to share this story in person. If anyone has questions, come and join us there. We'll be right back to continue this episode. Are you looking to maximize the collaborative capacity of your school or district? Are you wanting to take your professional learning communities or response to intervention work to the next level? Have you started the work in collaborative response but are looking to reignite your plans? We want to have you join us at the 2024 Collaborative Response Retreat happening May 3rd and 4th in beautiful Lacombe, Alberta. Over the two days, we have an intentionally designed program of breakout sessions, panel discussions, and supported team planning time to ensure that you walk away with a plan for introducing or strengthening collaborative response in your organization for the upcoming year. 
with a concentrated focus on team planning, networking, and individualized support, the Collaborative Response Retreat is an outstanding opportunity to grow your team's understanding and implementation of this powerful support framework. We are also planning some fun social times so you can relax and enjoy some activities as a team in our historic community of Lacombe in central Alberta. In addition, participants will gain access to an extensive repository of online resources to deepen their understanding and support ongoing implementation. Plan to join a growing network of educators dedicated to responding to the diverse needs of their learners. We've capped our attendance at 140 participants, so make sure to register early to secure your team spot. We're looking forward to seeing you in Lacombe in May. And now back to our conversation. So we're really excited to have you part of that. As and we're well. bringing two other people who are going to do all the talking, right, Britta? Oh, that's 100% oh, yeah. my vice principal's coming. <laughs> You've done yours You've now. You've done your talking. Yeah, them. <laughs> all right. That's well, right. thank you so, so much. And we wish you all the best moving forward. Thanks, Britta. Thanks, Scott. Thank, thank you, you for having us. <laughs> All right, so as we reflect on that conversation, there's not much there that surprises us because we work so frequently with with Britta and Scott, and especially you over the yeah. past number of years yeah. have got to know them so well. But, you know, when Scott reflects on the, I wish I knew then what I know now, reflection comment, we hear this over and over again of when we see the work stick with fidelity, it's because there's been a plan and an understanding that it takes time yeah. for implementation. And Britta reflected that as well, that go slow to go fast. It takes time. This is not about putting every single piece in place as soon as you can. It's that constant evolution and taking the next step mm -hmm. when ready. Yeah. And I'll, I'll go back to that, the statement that I mentioned before about rowing in the same direction and that this is a district who really has very intentional ways of implementing collaborative response and they are very much on the same page. Mm -hmm. But as Scott mentioned, they're at different places in their journey all across the division. Oh, and I loved what he talked about with the pressure, but grace yeah. at the same time. Yeah, and it totally is from the district level and their participation, it is about how do we help you? How do we support you in your journey as a school and as a school leader to get to that next step? And so though that real clarity of their intention mm -hmm. and intentionality in their implementation, just but amazing. I, I <laughs> do have to say though, it's one thing to be able as a system leader or system leadership team to say this is important and we're going to involve all schools it's one more step when you're saying and we're implementing the structures and processes as well we're seeing impact when a school says we've struggled with this they can come back and we've seen this in multiple wow. places where division leaders can say yeah us too we we struggled with that as well and everyone is on that path to learning and again collaboratively responding to the needs that are that are surfacing, whether it's the needs of a student, the needs of a leader, or the needs of a school. Yeah, and and when you think about the multiple levels where they have engaged collaborative response, engaged the structures and processes to really enhance 
what they were doing previously with mm -hmm. their school division. So we're talking early learning, learning support structures have changed. The, the way that the school division is supporting their schools, that's changed. They, how they lead their admin council, like so many yeah. things have been impacted because they are truly set out on this path. And when you say changed, it's not from they were lousy no. before and no. good. It's, you know, it's just alignment. enhancement, enhancement and alignment and mm. continual growth. Yeah. So uh, once again, thanks so much to Britta and Scott for joining. We'd love for you, if you've appreciated this episode, please leave a comment, subscribe. We'd love for you to be able to share it with one friend that you think would value from this. In the show notes, there's some links to additional resources. We will get the continuum from Bizano School in there as part of it yeah. as well. And as you heard in the podcast, we have at our 2024 Collaborative Response Retreat opportunity, we have 15 different schools and mm -hmm. school divisions that will be sharing their story. A great way to be able to network and hear this through multiple lenses, through multiple schools and school divisions. So yeah. with that, thank you so much for joining us for yet another episode of Leading Collaborative Response. And we wish you all the best moving forward in this work. See you soon.